Today is Father's Day, and I am a dad of five kids. And so I, I really enjoy Father's Day. Uh, I enjoy my little girl. I, I leave early on Sunday mornings to, to come here. And my little girl said, I'm going to wake up early, Dad, because I want to make sure I can wish you a happy Father's Day before you go to work. And I'm like, that's great. And uh, excited because the kids, they come up with these, these crazy gifts. Like, like my son um, brought me 24 cents. Like, I don't know what 24 cents means, but that was his Father's Day gift to me. Here you go, Dad. Happy Father's Day. And, and, and the homemade cards are great. And uh, later on, we're going to do a little bit of a barbecue. I don't know if you are a barbecue guy, but I found out that Father's Day is the largest beef consumption day throughout the entire year. 80 million pounds of beef will be consumed on Father's Day. Okay? Anybody going to have some beef later today? Yes. Yes. Red meat. Well, I'm all for it. And, uh, and there we go. And... Uh, as I find myself growing older, I notice a few things happening. I notice my hair, my, my, my forehead keeps getting bigger, my, my waistline gets bigger. But as I get older, the other thing I notice is, is, is I notice how much I really miss my dad. Uh, my dad died when I was nine years old, so this is my 23rd Father's Day, uh, 24th Father's Day, without having dad around. And I start thinking about my dad about this time, and, and I, wish, I wish my dad was here, because I wish I could just talk to him. I wish I could say, Dad... Dad, I've got these five kids, man. How am I doing? Like, am I, am I doing this thing right? Am I doing this, this fatherhood thing right? And I, I mean, we can look and we, we, we see all these things that we're supposed to do as fathers. And this past April, we did a sermon series called Bless This Mess. And we, we said we want to have God bless our mess of relationships. And one of those weeks, we cover the responsibility of a parent. And we said a parent's responsibility is to teach their kids God's word. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're supposed to teach godly values to our kids. We're supposed to teach our kids to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and all their strength. And we get that. Like, like we get that. And I, and I kind of wish, like, Dad, like, how am I doing, Dad? Like, like am, I, am I accomplishing what I'm supposed to do? But the problem is, as I start thinking about my dad, and it's been a long time since he's been gone, and I, the, the memories I have of him aren't as vivid as they once were. And I have a hard time remembering the lessons that dad taught me. And I find that what I do remember about my dad are things that I observed from him. Things I, I caught from him. Like, like, like this, my dad, my dad was legally blind. And so uh, being legally blind, um, he, I, I think, just had this natural heart for, for people that are a little bit different, who are an outcast, who are a little bit different than everybody else. And so I vividly remember as a child growing up that my dad was always seeking to help somebody who was in a bad spot, who was broken, who was whatever. And I remember a couple of times in our home, we had families living with us, whole families. We had seven people in our family and there was other families of five, six, seven people living with us because dad wasn't going to allow someone to be on the street. He wanted to say, hey, I've got some space. Come live with our family. And I remember very vividly dad opening our home to, to people who were in a hardship. I remember my dad, my, my dad loved baseball. And so I remember playing Little League Baseball. My dad was blind, but was still at every one of my games watching me play baseball. In fact, I remember one year dad served on the board of the Little League. And I thought it was so cool that my dad was so interested in my baseball. And I remember my dad, my dad, again, he was blind. It was the weirdest thing. He would move the chair right in front of the TV and he'd have the Mariners game on the TV. And he'd say, I'm watching the Mariners game. And I'm like, sure you are, Dad. 
And so he's watching the Mariners game, but then he can't just have the TV on. He also turns the radio on. I'm like, Dad, what are you doing that for? And he's like, well, I like the commentators on both of them. So this way I can hear what both of them have to say about the game. And, uh, you know, learned that from my dad. Another observation about my dad is my dad was a, was a hard worker. In fact, uh, the reason that our family we, uh, was born in Seattle, the reason we moved to Yakima is my dad was given the opportunity to run a, a cafeteria. There was a, there was a sandwich shop, uh, basically, that was struggling to survive and it was going to close. And they, they asked my dad, hey, would you come and, and try and redeem this, this, this business and, and restore it? And my dad said, sure. And I remember my dad going and working long hours and doing everything he can for this, this place. And he couldn't, he couldn't save it and ended up closing. And uh, gets to be towards the winter. And Christmas is coming up, and there just isn't, um, uh, isn't much money. And so when my dad lived in Seattle, one of the things he did is he taught. There's a, a blind college in Seattle. And so my dad says, here's what we're going to do. Family, you stay here. I remember my dad uh, going back to Seattle for, for October, November, December, and he worked at the college. And, and not only did he go and he work his 50 hours a week at the college, but then he, after he got off work there, he went and worked in a, a, at a Christmas tree lot selling Christmas trees for another 30 or 40 hours a week. Now, could you imagine buying a Christmas tree from a blind guy? Like that would be a, I mean, that, that'd be a good deal, right? But I remember my dad working himself uh, ragged, trying to provide Christmas for my family. And as I start thinking about my dad and I think about, man, my dad loved us and he loved spending time with us. And I'm sure that dad taught us some wonderful lessons. But the things I remember remember most about my dad are the things that I caught from him. The things I watched and I learned from how he lived. Listen, I don't know about you. I don't know if you're coming in today and and you have a great great dad and today's a great day that you can remember him and and celebrate him and, and praise God for that. But I also realize there are some in here who don't have a good dad, who have a dad who is absent, who have a dad who is abusive. And, and whatever your situation is, I want to encourage you that we have a good, good father, a great God who becomes our father, who becomes the perfect example of what it means to be a dad. And whatever situation you're coming from, I hope you see him as being the perfect dad. This morning, though, I want to just highlight this idea about the people that you and I have influence over. You think about the people that you have influence over. You think about your family members, and, and maybe you're a teen. You have influence over your siblings. You have influence over your family. You think about your extended family, your aunts and uncles, uh, your, your own kids, your, your grandparents. You have influence over these people. You think about your workplace. There are people that you work with that you have influence over by, by nature of just that relationship. Okay? You think about your friends, your neighbors. You have people that you love and that you are concerned for and that you care for. And when you think about those people, you think, man, I want God's blessing on them. Absolutely. I want God to to bless them, to give them grace and favor and guidance in their lives. And today, as we look at at Father's Day, we, we speak to fathers as dads. Like, we want those same things for our kids. We want God's blessing in the lives of our kids. We want God's grace and his favor and his mercy and his guidance in the lives of our kids. This is what we want as fathers. The hard thing is there's nothing that we can do to ensure that God's blessing is going to be extended to our kids. But I wonder if there's anything that we can do to tip the scales in our favor. That God's grace, that God's blessing 
would be extended to our loved ones. That our loved ones would be receptive to who God is. That God would pursue our children because of something that we've done. And as I reflect about my own father, I learned just as much, probably even more so, from what I caught from him than what I was, what I, what I was taught by him. And this idea that we, are, we, we learn more by what, we're, what we catch than what we are, are taught is actually a biblical principle. You see it all throughout Scripture of, of these examples that we are to set an example for people. I mean, this is biblical. You can see it. First Timothy chapter 4, Paul the Apostle says to Timothy, he says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Timothy, you're to be an example for others to look to. Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews says, Remember your leaders, those who spake the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This is your, as a leader, you are an example for others to learn from and follow. Philippians chapter 4, again we turn to the apostle Paul. And he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace be with you. This is the idea that we set an example for others to learn from and to, to, to uh, gain wisdom from. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself says this. He says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is our responsibility, is to be a, a city on a hill. And I want to be clear, and I want to, I want to be very clear that we hold firm that as, as Christians, we are God's re- representatives to the world. And especially as parents, all of us have this responsibility to teach God's words, to teach God's commands, to be about the Bible. The Bible is clear about that. But something that is just as important as us teaching God's word and proclaiming God's word, maybe even more important, is that we not only teach the word of God, but that we live God's word. That we model what the Bible teaches. That we model biblical values. That we model obedience to God's word. That we become an example of what it really looks like for us to follow Jesus. This is the way our lives, this is the testimony our lives are supposed to portray to the people around us. To the people that we have influence over. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20. Because there's a verse in Proverbs chapter 20 that is actually... A promise. It is a promise that if we will live with integrity, if we will match our actions with our beliefs, if we will match our actions with our words, that God says says that He will bless our children. So, as you turn there, Proverbs chapter twenty. Just a little info on 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 Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs was written by a man by the name of Solomon, who was possibly the wisest man who ever lived. 1 Kings chapter 4 kind of describes who Solomon is, is. And it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all of the wisdom of Egypt. Verse 34 says, And the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So Solomon is this super wise guy and he writes all of these proverbs. Now, the word proverb actually means a a comparison. 
And many verses in Proverbs is just like that. It's a comparison. If, if This is what a foolish person does, and this is what a wise person does. So the, the book of Proverbs becomes this, this condensed uh, book of condensed wisdom. It's kind of like these short little sayings, and you think about Muhammad Ali, who is no longer with us. You, uh, the, the book of Proverbs is like these short, powerful jabs that just jab you, and you're just like, man, that's so good and true, and this is what the book of Proverbs is. And actually, chapter 20 of Proverbs has some really great nuggets of wisdom. You can look and look at even just verse 1. Verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Now, most of us would understand that drunkenness leads to us being a little foolish. And oftentimes, especially when guys are involved, it leads to physical confrontations, okay? This is how that kind of works out. And so, obviously, there's wisdom in that. There's just basic wisdom that drunkenness leads to to dumb decisions. Verse 4, verse 4 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Again, this is just really like good wisdom. Like you've got a lazy person, and if they don't plow their fields at the end of harvest, they're going to have nothing. And this is just wisdom. And people, people will come and say, hey, 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 pastor, I need some work. You know, I need, I, need, I need some work right now because, you know, my rent's due on Monday. And I'm like, yeah, do you know that today is Sunday? Like, like you've got to, you know, where's the forethought to this? What about the past four weeks? And so there's just this, this great amount of wisdom that the Proverbs packs in for us to learn from. Today's verse today, we're going to be in Proverbs 20 and look at verse 7 about this amazing promise. Before we read that, though, would you just join me in a word of prayer? God, just want to thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Uh, God, thank you for Father's Day. God, I don't know uh, what Father's Day conjures up for many of us in here today. But God, I pray that we would have a picture of who you are. That, God, you are a good, good father. That you are a perfect father who loves us, uh, who loves us unconditionally. And your grace is available to every one of us in here today. So, God, I just pray that you would be with us here now. And, God, I pray as we look at the people that we have influence over, as we look as fathers at our children, as we look at, at siblings, as we look at uh, coworkers, friends, people that we love, God, I pray that you would help us to understand how our example can, can reap a harvest in their life. That how we live with integrity matters. God, I pray that you would help us to understand your word today. Help us to remember we're not here to listen to a pastor's opinion. We're here to meet with the one true God, to hear his word be taught. So God, I pray that you would meet with us here now, Jesus. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7 says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after them. Let me just say that just a little differently and in a little different way. If a man is righteous and walks in his integrity, his children will be blessed. Like, that's a great promise right there. That's a great verse. When we start thinking about our children, when we start thinking about the people that we have influence over and that we're concerned about, like, that's a great promise to know that if we do something that God says, they will be blessed blessed. And so we're just going to walk through this verse a little bit and try and understand what exactly it means for you and I. First, it says the righteous man. 
The righteous man is a, is a just man, an innocent man. He's a, he's a devout man. But I, wanna, I, w- I want you to notice, it doesn't say the perfect man. It doesn't say this man has to be perfect. And what happens, especially in the church world, is we come into places and we have to act like we have it all together. Like we'll come into church and we'll have the worst week ever. And like everything's falling apart and and you and your wife are are at it all week and the kids are going crazy. But you walk in on Sunday morning and you put that fake smile on and somebody says, how are you doing? And you say, I'm doing good. I'm good. Thanks. I'm blessed. And and so we we have this thing where we we, want to have this picture of having it all together. And so we think as a parent, well, I've just got to look like I've got it all together because if I show any weakness, then people would start thinking things of me and people would start judging me. Same thing happens in church. We just walk in and we have to have it all together. The truth is, none of us, none of us have it all together. None of us are perfect. And if you're in here and you're like, man, I'm not a parent, but I don't sin. Just wait till you have kids. You'll, you'll become a sinner after a few sleepless nights with kids crying in the background. You will be a sinner. And men, start talking about fathers. Men, truthfully, like, man, we're, we're, we're fakers. Like, we fake it so many times because we have this pride. We have this testosterone that rises up where we've got to, like, we've got to be better than the next person. And so when we go fishing, like, we come back and we're like, yeah, I caught a fish this big. And I'm like, no, you didn't. That was a goldfish. Like, it was out of the fishbowl. That wasn't that big of a fish. What are you talking about? And so we have this, this idea that we've got to be better than we really are. But the problem is, our kids are the greatest, uh, greatest at sniffing out hypocrisy. They see it better than anybody else. They, they sniff that out and call us on our hypocrisy. See, there is none of us, not one of us in here, including me setting up before you today, that are perfectly righteous. None of us are perfectly innocent. None of us are perfectly devout. We are all broken and bent towards sin. There is only one who is perfectly righteous. His name was Jesus Christ. And we look at this and say, well, since none of us are, are, are righteous, since none of us can live that way, is there any hope for us? Absolutely. Because we talk about the gospel. This is how God redeems us. That's what the gospel is. And the gospel is really twofold. See, the gospel says that Jesus takes our sin. He takes our brokenness upon himself. But he doesn't just take our brokenness. As he's taking our brokenness, he gives us his righteousness. It's a two-way street. We give Jesus our sin and our brokenness and our failures and our mess-ups. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you my righteousness, my perfection, my, 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 my everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake, he, being Jesus, made, or he being God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him we become the righteousness of God. So when it talks about being a righteous man, we're not talking about you and I being perfect. We're talking about us claiming the righteousness of Jesus as our own. 
And this is amazing because this is what Jesus did on the cross. He exchanged our sin for his righteousness. He gave us his righteousness so that we can stand before God. And when God says, hey, why should I let you into heaven? We don't say it's because I'm so great, because we're not. We say because Jesus was great in my behalf, and I'm righteous through him. And we start thinking about the people that we love and we care for. We start thinking of fathers, we start thinking about our kids. And first and foremost, if we want to have an influence over them, we've got to be righteous. Which means we've got to embrace and live under the power of the gospel. That we continually recognize our brokenness. We continually recognize our sinful tendencies. And that we admit, we realize and that we admit that we will never ever be good enough. Even after we become a Christian, we still are not good enough in our own power. When we admit this, and we continually take that brokenness, and we give it to Jesus, and we remember that our right standing with God, our faith, is based on the love and the grace that Jesus has extended for us. That he has taken his righteousness and given, us, given it to us. And that is why we have the opportunity to be called righteous, to stand before God because of what Jesus has done and taken our brokenness and giving us his righteousness. And that becomes a proper foundation for us to have any godly influence over the people that we love and that we care for. So it says the righteous. It says the righteous who walks. See, this Hebrew word for the word walks doesn't simply refer to the process of putting one foot in front of the other. It means, it means the way a person behaves, referring to a person's way of life. See, quite honestly, as we think about fatherhood, it doesn't take much to be a father. Like, like anybody can have a biological son or daughter. But when you start thinking about being a godly parent, about using a godly influence, that takes much more character. That takes much more hard work to achieve that. And if we want to have the influence over those around us, it isn't just a few simple steps. It's a commitment to a way of life of saying, God, I want to be used by you, and I'm going to make this my walk. I'm going to make this how I live. It says, the righteous who walks in his integrity. It's a big word. What does integrity mean? D.L. Moody uh, uh, said this. He said, integrity is who you are in the dark when no one else sees you. That's what integrity is. Integrity is a consistency between what you profess to believe and the way you actually live. From a biblical standpoint, a person with integrity is a person who understands what's important to God and actually consistently lives in light of what is important to God. That is what biblical integrity is. That we understand what God says and that we are trying to live according to what God says. And it's more than just living with our, our, our values. This is us ascribing and, and saying, I'm going to live by God's values. And with God's help, I'm going to conform to live those values in my life. People of integrity, they're not perfect. I want to be clear, we're not talking about perfection. People with integrity have a single great ambition in their life. 
And that is that their lives, the way they live, would match their words the way they say they believe. That they'd be consistent between their words and their actions. That they'd be consistent between their, their values and the way that they live. That there'd be a consistency in every part of life. That you are the same person on Sunday morning at church as you are at Monday morning at work, as you are Friday night going and hanging out with your wife, that you are the same person in every setting. That is what it means to live with integrity. And what is the result? What is the result of us being a righteous person who lives a way of life of integrity? He says very clearly, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after them. And I just, I want us to understand this promise that there is a holy God in heaven who rewards good men with blessings on their children. Does this guarantee that they'll turn out good and godly? No. God never owes us saved children. God never owes us children that follow him the rest of their lives. Even the most faithful of us, God doesn't owe us anything. But I see this blessing of, of the children in two ways. Okay? The first way that this is a blessing is that the kids now have an example of godly living. They have an example to follow. You start thinking about your kids navigating the minefield of life. And the blessing is that your kids have an example, a godly example of how to deal with the deadly temptations that we all deal with. They know how to deal with sexual immorality because they've seen a godly person live it out. They understand how to deal with, uh, with a professional world uh, of a workplace that sometimes doesn't have Christian values because they've seen a godly mother and father, an example, say this is how you navigate life this way. Your kids have seen an example, uh, a map out of a course that navigates the dangers of this world and then points back to Jesus. There's a guy by the name of Charles Fettering, who was a really smart guy who lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he, he's actually known as, as, as creating the first electric starter in your car. Like, how cool is that? This guy came up with that, okay? And this is what, this is what Charles Fettering said. He said, every father should remember that one day his son will follow his example instead of his advice. That's good right there. That's good. So not only are children blessed because they have a godly example to follow, but there's a second blessing that comes. Because you kind of get this idea that God's favor is going to be extended to them. You get this idea of God's mercy being readily available to those children, maybe more so than before. The, the idea that God will pursue them and assist them for the sake of the way that their father and mother lived. You say, well, how does that work out? Well, you can see this in Scripture. You can consider, consider the life of David. Okay, we know David. We studied David this past, uh, this past fall. David was a man after God's own heart. And this is what, uh, to honor David's life, this is what the Lord continued to do. First. Kings chapter 15, verse 4 says, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing, and establishing Jerusalem. For David's sake, 
God allowed his son to remain as king over Jerusalem. Second Chronicles chapter 21, verse 7 says, Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, since he had promised to give him a lamp uh, to him and to his sons forever. Like, this is, this is great for us to understand that God actually does extend some sort of grace and mercy and favor. And this doesn't mean that the kids are going to be saved, but there's this idea that maybe God pursues them a little bit more passionately. Maybe, maybe God desires more action in their life because, because of their father, because of the example that their father has, 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 has been. And I want us to understand through this. What I want you and I to see is how you and I live is so extremely important. Like it has lasting effects beyond what any of us could ever realize. Like we go through life just making these decisions and think, oh, they don't really matter, but they have such huge impact on the people who are around us, who are watching us like our kids. I heard it. I went to a pastor's conference and this pastor said something to a bunch of other pastors. He said, he said, the greatest contribution, contribution that you can make to your church is how you are raising those kids in your home. And I just want to rephrase that differently. Every one of you in here today, the greatest contribution that you can make to this world is, how you are, is who you are raising in your home. That is the greatest contribution that every one of us in here today would make is who we are raising in our homes. Because our kids are watching. They're taking cues of our lives before they even realize they are. You can see your kids. I remember my, 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 my youngest son, Oliver. I remember, uh, dad wears a backwards hat. That's just what I do. I've got a weird shaped head. So I find that backwards hat looks better than a forwards hat. That's just what happens when you look like me. And, and, and we went shopping and he was like three years old. We went to TJ Maxx and he found this Jordan hat. And he puts it on backwards. Well, what are you doing? I'm just wearing my hat like that. That's what I do. And, and your kids are, are taking these cues and we don't even realize it. I listen, as parents, we can't live in, in somebody else's place. We can't make choices for them. But listen, what you do and what you say around them can shape their lives more than you and I realize. I think about this. I think okay, here's this great promise. That if we're righteous and that if, if we live in integrity, that God will bless our children. Question is, some of us don't have great integrity. Like, how do, we, how do we get better? How do we grow in this? And I've got just a couple simple ways for how you can and grow in integrity. First, do what you say you're going to do. Now, I'll be honest, when I talk about my integrity, this is an area I have a lot of room to grow in. I find myself to be an optimist. So I'm always thinking everything's going to be great. And so what I do is I, over, uh, I overcommit and I underdeliver. My wife knows this very clearly. Oh, I say, oh, honey, I'll be home tonight at 5.15. I'll, I'll be able to be done by 5.15. And I'm, I'm working, I'm doing whatever. And I look at the clock and it's 5.45. Darn it! I just, and there goes my integrity. And this is what we've got to understand. Like, 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 let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Like, like, just be will. Don't be make a promise that we can't keep. We've got to be willing to do what we say we're going to do. Second way to grow in your humility. Or second way to grow in your integrity is to practice 
humility. It's to develop a, a genuine humility within your character. Because the temptation, temptation we all have, is to pretend to be whatever we think we are. Like, we pretend to be greater than we really are. Like, we see ourselves as being really awesome, and so we, we, we pretend to be as awesome as we really are, where if we understood that our humility, integrity, says what you see is what you get. A humble person is realistic and saying, man, I'd love to be here, but this is where I am. That's what humility says. And when we are humble, guess what we become? We become teachable. And God can then grow us because we're understanding, hey, I don't have to fake it. I can actually say, I I need some help. I'm not all the way there. And that's when God begins to grow us. Third thing you can do to grow your integrity is begin to take responsibility. Begin to take responsibility. And I'll say this. This probably applies for everybody, but specifically to the men in here. Don't make excuses. Don't, don't blame others for your shortcomings. We do this. We all do this. Men, you and I know it's tough to apologize, isn't it? It's tough to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. But listen, the greatest example that you can, can give to the people around you is to seek forgiveness, to apologize. This is something we don't talk enough about repentance in our day and age. We don't talk about repentance. And so what I found is in the church, people don't know how to repent because they haven't seen it done. They haven't seen an example of what it means to truly repent, of to say, hey, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And men, this is our opportunity to lead by example, to be the first to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. And listen, today is a great day to begin that now. Maybe, maybe you've been a bad dad. Maybe you've had some relationships that you haven't been faithful in. Maybe you've had some relationships that have been difficult. Man, begin today to rebuild that integrity by taking responsibility and saying, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Take that first step, man. Set the example of what it looks like to take responsibility and seek forgiveness. Fourth way I think we can grow in our integrity is that we can learn from others. We can learn from other people. I mean, this whole message is a message about examples, right? It's about about being an example. And so what we need, men, if we're going to live with integrity, women, if you're going to live with integrity, young people, if you're going to live with integrity, you need examples yourselves. You need role models who live with integrity, who are a few steps ahead of you, can say, hey, here's how you navigate life. Watch me as I go through circumstances and I, and I honor God through whatever God brings me through. Here's how you live with integrity. This is one of the reasons why church is so significant. Because as a church, we're supposed to gather around, encourage one another, and build one another up. And I'll tell you, in our church, there's somebody who's a few steps ahead of you. A few steps ahead of you in life. A few stages ahead of you. A few steps ahead of you in your faith. Who can say, hey, let me walk alongside you. 
I'll show you what it looks like to follow Christ. I'll show you what it looks like to live with integrity. I'll show you what it looks like for, for you to do this and that. And they become an example and a role model where you can not only just hear what God says, but you can see how to put it into practice. Learn from other people. Let's think about how to bring this to a close this morning. I want you just to think about a legacy. I want you to think about the legacy that you want to be known for. Men, we want a legacy. We want a legacy after we're gone. I want a legacy for my family. In fact, there's this anxiety within me. There's an anxiety for my family, and this is completely natural. There's this anxiety of of what's going to come of my family, what's going to be known of me from the time I'm no longer here. See, it's wise for us to turn that anxiety into care about our character. Because what happens is, is oftentimes when we start thinking about this, this anxiety for our family, we start thinking about our legacy, we turn to something, that's, that, 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 we turn to something that appears to be good. So you might begin to think, man, I'm going to leave a large estate for my legacy. Like, I want to I I make sure my family is well-to-do for, for years and years to come. And so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to build my retirement plans, and I'm going to have a great portfolio, and have all these things, so that way, that's my legacy. Listen, that's not bad. That's good. But listen, a good legacy is something that just affects this earthly life, here and now. But a great legacy affects eternity. A great legacy affects eternity. And too many times we confuse a good legacy with a great legacy. And we settle just for a good legacy. Listen, I don't want just a good legacy. I want a great legacy that will withstand when this world passes away. You can have a building named after you, and guess what's going to happen in a few years? It's going to get torn down. Somebody else is going to give more money, and they're going to change the name. Okay? Don't just worry about a good legacy. Worry about a great legacy that stands the test of eternity. The greatest legacy is giving your family a knowledge of God, an example of how to walk with God. Those who know us most are those that we live with, and they're going to learn and watch from us, and that is our legacy. What is the legacy that you are setting in your home? What is the legacy that you are setting around those at work that you have influence over, around your family? Because listen, listen, if we succeed in every area of life, but if we fail at home, we've never really succeeded. I just want to encourage you, you start thinking about your legacy, thinking about your integrity, your righteousness. And this is what the church is for. That we're a group of people who rally around each other and say, man, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you to redeem your legacy, to bring redemption to your family line, to bring beauty out of the ashes. This is what the church does. We walk alongside each other. We build each other up. We help each other take those steps. This is what the church is for. And as you start thinking about your legacy, you start thinking about your integrity, man, let us walk together. Let us walk together and grow together. That God would do something amazing right here through each each one of us. Would you pray with me?
God, I just want to just come before you and praise you for who you are. And God, as we celebrate Father's Day, we might think about our dad, we might think about good or bad. But God, I think about our righteousness. And man, we have such a good father who's looked at us in our brokenness, who's looked at us at our very worst time. And every one of us can think about our very worst moment, the very worst thing that we've done, our lowest point ever. And the God, who is a good, good father, he looked at us and said, I love you regardless. And I will extend my grace and my forgiveness even when you're at your worst. And I will take that upon myself and I will give you my righteousness. That is what a good father does. Loves us unconditionally. As we have the opportunity to celebrate Father's Day today, no matter what kind of father you have, you have a good, good father who loves you so much that he's taken you at your worst to give you his best. That you have an opportunity to stand before God, not because you are so awesome, not because you fake it, not because you've worked so hard, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And we can celebrate and praise God as our Father because of what he has done. And God, not only that, I think about every one of us in here. That God, we, God, we want to be used by you. We, we want to see you bless the people around us. We want to see you bless our families, see you bless our workplaces, see you bless our children. God, we want to see those things. And I pray that you would help us to understand what it means for us to, to walk with integrity, to, to live in a way that what we say we believe and what we do are the same thing. So God, I just pray for everyone in here today should help us to grow in our integrity. To be consistent with who we are. Consistent with what we believe. That we would take our values and replace them with you. Replace them with what you have. And God, those times that it's hard, those times that we have a hard time living that way, that we would say, God, God, would you help me? Would you help me to live this way? God, I pray that you would help all of us to understand our legacy. It's not just an earthly thing. It's an eternal thing. Help us to live the way that we're supposed to. Help us to take that first step to apologize. Help us to do what we say we're going to do. Help us to experience humility. And help us rally around each other to be all that God has called us to be. God, I love you and praise you. Just pray now as you have this opportunity to respond to your word through worship. God, there are some in here today who just need to spend some time in prayer. Crying out saying, God, this is where I'm at. God, I need you. I need your grace. I need your favor. I need your blessing today. And God, you are a good father. And I need you now. I encourage you to do these couple of songs. Just cry out to God. If you'd like a pastor to pray with you, I'll be up at front. I'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. God, as we also respond, I pray that as we hear these worship songs, that we might just stand and just praise you for who you are. That we would just praise you for what you have done. That you are a good, good Father. And that every one of us are loved by you. God, thank you for meeting meeting with us here today. Jesus, we love you and praise you. We ask this in your name. Amen.